Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, howdy, folks, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. A week has gone by since the previous episode in which I was brewing the apricot ale. And so just a little quick update on the ale. The ale, the boil went great, cooled it down to, uh, I think I was at 85 degrees Fahrenheit when I decided, okay, we're, we're cool enough to add the yeast. The yeast was pitched. Let's see, what when, when exactly did I do that? Uh, pitch the yeast, it was 80 degrees Fahrenheit at 12.35. And I think I was recording the podcast. I think I mentioned that it was like 10.30 in the morning. So cool it down pretty quick. Pitch the yeast, sealed up the fermenter, put the airlock on it, and sat it in the corner. And I've just been watching it. That was on uh, February 21st. And I am recording this on February the 27th. And the fermentation is just steadily going along. You see little little burps and bubbles coming out of the airlock. That CO2 escaping. The same thing that happens to all beer drinkers. You know, when they're lined up at the bar. A little bit different. But uh, it is just steadily working. And there's about a one-inch layer of of foamy yeast at the top because ale is a top fermenting yeast not seeing much of uh, settling of that yet so it's still active fermentation i checked the specific gravity of it yesterday and it was at 1025 uh the at the start the starting gravity was 1040 for you home brew- brewers it's down to 1025 and the temperature is sitting about 68 so that's that's really a good temperature for ale so that's enough updates for you fellow home brewers now let's get into the topic du jour how to jam with david grisman or how to jam with chris Thiele. how to jam with doc watson although that's going to be a little difficult now same goes for Mac Wiseman, who I just heard, I think a couple days ago, passed away. Uh, how to jam with Sam Bush. How to, you know, you pick your, pick your musical hero. If, if and when, I hope it's when, you ever get a chance to sit down in a relaxed situation, or even get up on stage with them, uh, and just pick with someone of that caliber like i'm going to use grisman throughout this but you could say tony rice you could say a thousand well i don't know if there are a thousand that are super well known but you just pick your favorite musician bluegrass musician of course the opportunity to play with someone like that comes few and far between until you enter, you know, that near greatness echelon of the hierarchy. But for the average schmo out there, you know, if you've, if you've been playing six months, uh, it's not likely Grisman is going to ask you to go on tour with him, you know, but 
the experience. If you keep hanging around, you're eventually going to be at a bluegrass festival, and all of a sudden, wise dudes or dudettes is standing there in your jam session, playing with you, and it is something that sticks with you. I don't know how much you learn from that, other than you you may learn, um, you know, how rotten you play, you know, by comparison, that sort of thing. Or you may, you know, you'll pick up some things about like, what is their real personality like? And, you know, you get inside scoop on the person who you have idolized and bought their CDs and records and gone to their shows and stuff. But having a chance to actually pick with somebody is one of those great experiences that bluegrass musicians get to enjoy perhaps only once, twice, three times, maybe a dozen times in their life. You know, if you're not, if you don't work your way into the professional sphere, you know, it's a dream of a lot of players. I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of having to always guess as to who is, who you are. I don't know if you're a deadhead, you know, and you're into that whole, you know, like your dream would really be to play with Jerry, not David. You know what I mean? I mean, you'll take David, but Jerry, you know, Jerry's your dude, you know? I mean, if you could sit down and for three hours, uh, do whatever you guys do and, and just pick with, you know, Jerry Garcia in your kitchen is, you know, maybe that for you is, it would be the ultimate. And of course that's not going to happen. Not now. Um, maybe you're somewhere else in your musical, uh, dreams and you know, what, what really moves you and what really gets you going. Maybe there's someone else you would just love to sit down with. Might be Sam Bush. Might be Bela Fleck. Might be any one of a thousand great players. Could be Mike Marshall. You know, maybe you've been, you know, taking lessons from him online through his videos and stuff. And, you know, to, to you, the thing would just be a man, if I could just sit down with Mike Marshall and he could talk about cooking and wine and North, uh, whatever they are, Northfield mandolins, and we could just pick together for a couple hours. Wouldn't that be great? You know, maybe that's your dream. And, and I'm sure there, there could be a few um, knuckleheads in the audience whose dream is to, you know, do the very same thing over here at my house. I don't know. I, I kind of doubt that you'd have to be kind of a knucklehead to do that, but maybe it's Doc Watson. You know, just pick your person. What if you could jam with them? And if you're beginner, intermediate, let's say you've been in this less than five years, your immediate gut reaction might be, not me, not me, brother. No, no way. I'm not good enough, you know. Well, what I'm saying is, or what I'm going to say and lay out a plan for you is that you are good enough to play with them. They're not going to hire you. You're not going to get a bunk on their bus or anything. Not yet. But if you do what I tell you in this episode, you might get there. Or if you just bump into one of these, 
you know, mega bluegrass stars, Ricky Skaggs or somebody, or Sammy Sheeler, or you name them, David Greer, you know, just happened to bump into him and sit down on the bench of a, of a picnic table somewhere and, you know, play about 15, 20 tunes with the guy. Maybe you won't fall flat on your face and totally embarrass yourself. Maybe you'll be able to do it. So follow my instructions. Now, let's say you're already a good player because that everything I just said was directed at the, you know, the people who are trying to become good players. Well, maybe you're already a good player, but maybe you're in a situation. Maybe you're stationed at a weather, you know, a weather outpost in Antarctica and there's just no way you can go to festivals and you can't, you, you can't hang out with Grisman. Maybe you're, you know, stationed in the military and, you know, some base in Korea or something and you just can't hang out with Grisman. I'm going to show you how you can. And when I say Grisman, you plug in your favorite bluegrass musicians. And of course, Grisman is like, he can be bluegrass, but he's not. He's certainly not limited to bluegrass. But you can play. You can pick with these people. And if you do, if you do for an extended period of time, you can't sit down. I, I remember one time uh, Buddy Ashmore and I were up and Jim Adkins were up at the Cherokee Bluegrass Festival in Cherokee, North Carolina. We were there and Doc Watson was playing. And at that time, Doc and Jack Lawrence were playing together. That was the show. Well, Jack was just hanging around the campground and we picked with Jack for hours and hours one particular night of that festival. That's the sort of session that you need in order to learn from it. You can experience it uh, at that at same festival. I had my mandolin and I, I picked, I don't know, half a dozen, maybe eight or ten tunes with Charlie Waller of the Country Gentleman. He didn't know who I was. I just happened to be the mandolin player that drifted in and stood there and started playing. And it was funny because it took me about three songs to realize who I was even playing with. I, I just didn't know. I mean, I didn't recognize him. And that same jam session, oh gosh, who was the banjo player? He used to play with Boone Creek. I, I just, anyway, can't think of his name right now. Uh, Terry Bauckham. Terry Bauckham. And again, you know, I, I thought, that guy looks kind of familiar. I didn't realize he was familiar because I'd seen his face on the Boone Creek album. You know, I'm just, it was just, there were pickers and, you know, anyway. Those sort of experiences will stick with you. But you can have these experiences even if you think you're not ready. And let me tell you the great benefits that will come with picking with those people. If you could play with those people. I made this, I made this comment in that show that I did with Keith Billick. I think it was number 104. Where I was talking, we were both talking podcasting and stuff. And I said, you know, it, it would be great if I could get the Bluegrass Album Band to come over to my house. And he said, yeah, they don't come over to my house very often either. But that's what I'm talking about. If you could get them to come over to your house and stay for a month, you might actually, actually learn something. Here's what you'll learn if you can play with those folks. I mean, these are great musicians. Your ears will improve. You will learn to actually hear what is going on. 
Your timing will improve. Your ability to fit in, to play the right kind of things at the right time, in the right style, the right volume, your ability to fit in will improve. Now, let me pause right there. Those things may not improve when you're picking at the local slow jam. What are you going to learn from those other people? I mean, look, I'm not knocking people in that boat, but if you want to get better, you need to play with better musicians. And I'm laying out a plan here for you to do just that. So continuing what you can learn. You can learn, this is pretty basic, figure out what key they're playing in. Pretend you're blindfolded or it's kind of dim light and you can't see the capo and you don't know guitar chords. What key are they in? That is the most basic thing. Because trust me, if you don't know what key they're in, you ain't going to play with them. You're not going to sound good until you figure out what key they're in. That's like the most ultra basic thing ever. You will learn the progression, the chord progression to the song. Now you could cheat. And I, I recommend sometimes that you do cheat with my jam session survival book. You can pull up the chords or, you know, you can do it on the internet or whatever. But if you're just reading them off a sheet, how much are you really learning? Can you, you know, a lot of my students over the years have had trouble figuring out chord progressions. I would put on a CD or something, say, listen to this. All right. What key are they in? I don't know. We'll figure it out. How are you going to figure it out? I don't know. And I would, you know, I'd spend 10, 15 minutes demonstrating, explaining how to do it. You know, it's, it, this ain't rocket science. Use your brain, you know. You will learn the chord progression to the song that they're playing. Now, in a live situation, when you're playing with somebody in real time, you don't have a lot of time. They kick it off. By God, you better be in there, you know. And when they change chords, you better change with them. So it's kind of unforgiving, but you can improve at that skill. You can get to where you can almost know the chord progression before you hear it. I know that may sound mystical, but it is true. I'm not saying you won't make mistakes now and then. There are some screwball songs that go places you would not expect. But you can learn the chord progression. And, next layer, you can learn the song arrangement. Do they do two verses and a chorus and then they vamp for a little extra, a little, like, one beat extra, and then in comes the banjo break, and what's he playing? Is he playing a verse or the, the chorus? You can learn the song arrangement. Do they do a little something different at the end? You know, they hadn't played an A chord through the whole song. It's in the key of G. They haven't played one A. And then, bang, here's this weird A chord out of nowhere. You can learn that. And you can learn all of this by ear with no instruction. You don't even have to buy one of my books or videos. Although I recommend that you do. Go to bradleylaird.com. Some of that stuff could make this easier. I don't even want you. I don't want you to cheat. Well, let me continue. So you're playing with the, with the greats. You can eventually learn their solo, but I mean, their song and their arrangement and their key and the chord progression, and you can play pretty good with them, but it's going to take quite a few repetitions and they're only going to play it once. Here's the plan. 
play with recordings of the greats. And what's cool is they don't even care if you make a mistake, though you should care. I think that defines a good musician from a lousy musician. If you care, because if you don't care, you ain't going to get any better. If you do care, perhaps you will get better. So let's just imagine that I have Ricky Skaggs and Tony Rice sitting right across the table from me. Got a guitar and a melon. I'm like, well, I'll play bass. And I get my bass out. Do you think without paying them, you know, peeling off the $100 bills, that I'm going to get them to go over each song eight or ten times until I figure it out? No. They're used to people that know their stuff. You know, like when Chuck Berry would tour, he wouldn't carry a band with him. He would just expect that everybody to know all of his music and all of his arrangements. And if, let's say, you were hired to play bass with him and you showed up for the gig, by God, you better know his stuff. You know, people don't have time for that. They don't have, you know, they've got, uh, you know, things to do, people to see. <laughs> they don't have time for you to learn. But that's not true if you use recordings. I can take a recording of Skaggs and Rice, put that record on, and I can make them stay at my house for months. They never give me the stink eye when I hit a wrong chord or hit a wrong note on the bass or play some funky lick that was completely inappropriate on the dobro. Or I'm playing a break and I'm covering up Ricky's mandolin break, you know. They don't even give you the dirty looks. Also, you won't be nervous. Because let me tell you, you get around some famous bluegrass stars, it makes you nervous. You know, you want to do really good and you're, you know, you get starstruck and you're nervous. That doesn't happen with recordings. If it does, you might want to seek some counseling, perhaps. I, I do offer counseling, by the way, too. Uh, just email me and I will uh, send you back the details and my PayPal address. The other good thing is you don't have to pay them. You don't have to feed them. You don't have to keep them supplied with beer or any other, nothing. You know, they will stay at your house as long as you want to, and it's relatively cheap. Let's say, imagine for $15, you could get Jerry Garcia to be resurrected and uh, David Grisman and maybe Tony Rice for a little bit. Get them to come over and hang out with you for as long as you want. Months, if necessary. Well, all you do is get the pizza tapes. That's it. You get the pizza tapes, you get your instrument out, and you start practicing. So that's what we're going to talk about. And let me now turn the page of my notes like so. And, and remember, too, you're not bugging them. You know, some of these people wouldn't probably enjoy playing with you. You know, they might put up with it, you know. The point, the point of this entire thing is to get to where the point where they want you to play with them. When that happens, you've been successful. And actually, you then have entered their echelon. And now you can do that to other people, you know. 
How many people do you not want to play with? I know some people I don't like to play with. And I've bumped into many, many nameless people at festivals that I did not want to play with. And you drift along, but then there were people that I did want to play with. When you enter that higher and higher realms of ability, skill, tact, personality, you know, all the many, many things that make up what constitutes a good musician, at a certain point, you don't want to play with those funky beginners. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious, you don't. You, well, you would for a hundred bucks, but... And that is no, you know, no slight to them. It's just that they need to step it up and get with it, you know. We're all supposed to be having fun here. Just because you, Mr. Beginner, are having a great time doesn't mean I'm having a great time, you know, or. Okay, here's the deal. You're not bugging them a bit by doing this. In fact, you're helping them because I'm, I'm going to now make a point by their CD. Spend the money. Buy it. You know, it's not free. The whole world ain't supposed to be free. Just because you can listen to tone poems on YouTube, look, all you got to do is do a little research and read that the artists and the songwriters are not getting paid their fair share by all this streaming stuff. Do your own research on that. I can tell you it's true. You want to help the guy out? I mean, come on. Take 20 bucks out of your digital wallet and buy the CD. It's, you know, many of them cost less than that. That will put money right in their pocket. I mean, would you ask David Grisman to come over to your house and pick with you for a month? And you tell him, well, you know... I just don't want to pay you. I don't want to give you nothing. Not even gas money. Not even this little bag of peanuts. I don't want to give you nothing. Because I'm a cheapskate typewad. A tightwad. I probably stumbled over that word because I am one. Some sort of Freudian thing or something. Look, buy their CD. It's the least you can do. And you owe it to them. Buy the CD. Now, I will say this, that going on YouTube and listening to some songs is a good way to decide what it is you want to buy, you know? But once you've you found some tunes you like, don't be a cheapskate. Just get online. Go to Elderly. Go to the artist's own site. Go to Amazon. Buy their material. And then play that. That's what I'm telling you. Okay, here's the entire plan. And it's what I call, and let me tell you, if you will do this, if you will do this once, twice, three times, four times over the course of the next year, you will become a much better musician in ways that other musicians will notice. If you don't do this, at the end of the year, you're going to be pretty much the same as you are now. You might know a couple of new tunes that you play as equally as poorly as the ones you know now. You might be as, you know what I'm saying? Listen to what I'm going to say here. Try it. Maybe do it on a quarterly plan. And you're going to do all these steps for the next three months. 
And then you're going to do it again and again and again. And the great thing is you get to pick the material. I'm not telling you what to play. You decide that because if you're playing something you like, you're more likely to get into it and actually apply yourself and improve it. If I, you know, if somebody else picked these for me, like I'm going to do this for the next year and somebody said, okay, you're going to do this record and this record and it, I might not like that stuff. So, how, you know, how much heart am I going to put in it? Okay, here are the steps of my plan. And the plan is called Learn the Entire Album Plan. My Learn the Entire Album Plan. That's what it is. And you know, an album is sort of like a set. If you're, you know, you're in a bluegrass band and you say we're going to play three sets at, you know, the uh, Piney Woods Creek Bluegrass Festival, three sets. Well, a set is approximately the same length as an album. So, step one, find the dream album. Find the album. Now, here you can go on YouTube. You can listen to whatever, do whatever you want to. Find that record that you just love and that you can imagine yourself sitting in a circle with those people playing those songs. That's the, that's the record you need to start with. I don't care how difficult it is or how easy it is. You pick it. If you pick something really difficult that's way above your skill level, it's just going to take longer. But if that's what you're into, do it. You know, if you're a beginner, I would steer clear of things like uh, what is it? Goat rodeo, you know, stuff. There's some stuff. that's going to be a little over your head. Maybe some punch brothers might be a little bit over. I mean, try to pick something that it is possible yet really good that you really dig and you really enjoy. You got to find the album. Let me tell you a couple albums that I do with. What did I do with them? Hold on one second. Okay, sorry about that. I moved them. Let me just tell you some of the albums that I've done this very thing with, and I continue to this day to do this with. And I've been doing this since I started. Since I started. I'm just going to rattle off the names of a couple of albums that I do this, that I learn the entire record. And I'll, I'll talk more about that process in a minute. Just, I'm going to tell you some that I love. I love the Bluegrass Compact Disc Volume 2, rounder number 11516. If you buy it from them, tell them Brad Laird sent you. It has J.D. Crow, Jerry Douglas, Bobby Hicks, Doyle Lawson, Todd Phillips, Tony Rice. Do you hear any slackers in there? Do you hear any people who can't pick in that list? No. If you play with these guys, you will get better. And like I said, they won't give you the stink eye when you, when you play bad. You just do it over and over and over. This thing is great. And I don't really care what instrument you're playing on. Any one of the bluegrass instruments, you can sit down and play with this CD. And I love it because it's a bunch of old bluegrass songs played by some of the more um, contemporary bluegrass artists. 
This is a great CD. The Bluegrass Compact Disc Volume 2. I love this one. For, the, for this one, I use more playing bass. But I have played rhythm mandolin through it. Um, you know, as a, as this exact same process that I'm about to, you know, line out for you. This is called Doc and Dog. It's very good. Very good. You want to uh, learn chord progressions on the fly. You want to get your timing squared away. All the things I talked about, all you can get it. Play it along with Doc and Dog. I've actually picked Doc just a couple of tunes one time. I've done it, but I couldn't get him to stick around and play for the next month. Well, get the CD. He'll play with you for the next decade. Here's another one. This is this is one I've used a lot on bass. Um, and when, let me mention, if you're a bass player, it's sometimes advantageous to hear the recorded bass that's on there because that can give you clues. Uh, it can help you with timing. It can help you with hearing the chord progressions and so forth. Once you begin to learn the tunes, though, it's pretty easy with bass to select a smaller set of speakers or just roll off the bass EQ and reduce the bass signal as you begin, begin to become the bass player for these guys. Here's the CD, Tony Rice, Cold on the Shoulder. You know, as an exercise, when I can play tracks 1 through 11, I've accomplished something. You could be just playing rhythm guitar. You could be playing banjo, just backup chords or some rolls and fills and stuff. That's a great album to do this with. Here's another good one. Uh, Jerry Garcia and David Grisman, Shady Grove. You know, if you're into, into uh, Jerry, you know, this is a good one to do. And some of these tunes don't have a lot of instruments like it. Oops, dropped it. Like, if you look at track four, it's Jerry on the banjo and David on the banjo. Well, you know, you could play your banjo with them, too. Or you could play mandolin or guitar or bass. You could play your saxophone with them if you wanted to. Here's, a, here's another excellent, excellent, excellent album for doing this with. And you might say, well, it wouldn't be so great if I was a guitar player or a mandolin player. But I think it's great regardless. That is David Grisman, Tony Rice, Tone Poems. Buy it, don't cheat, and just sit there listening to it on YouTube. You know, Tony could use a little chump change. So, you know, fork over. Tone Poems is a beautiful, beautiful uh, recording. And all of the tunes, I forget how many there are. Let's see, uh, 17, 17 songs. These will challenge you. A beginner could start with this. And some of the tunes, let's say you know three chords on the mandolin. There are some of these tunes that you could play along with and be improving your timing, be improving your ears, be improving your ability to fit in. There's going to be some songs that are going to go right over your head if you're a beginner. But you can figure out what key they're in. You can try to figure out what the chords are and don't cheat by going online. And looking up the chords. Try to figure them out. Try different chords. All right. Tone poems. 
this is my present um, base exercise that I'm in the middle of right now. And I did it about three years ago, but I forgot some of these tunes. Um, is to play the bass with the Tone Poems record, you know. And I'll tell you what, it, it's challenging. Another great one, Skaggs and Rice. Got a guitar and a mandolin, two voices. That's the record. It's a great record. If you're a banjo player, rhythm guitar player, you want to learn rhythm mandolin, fiddle, bass, dobro. You just add in whatever you want to and try to fit in. And another one that's I highly recommend for banjo players. Although this record does not give you much space for taking solos, but the Tony Rice unit, Manzanita. Some of them are pretty straightforward standards, and some of them are a little bit out there. Okay, that's my suggestions for records. But again, you pick. Here's the thing. Here are, I was up to number one, find the dream album. Number two, buy it. Number three, don't cheat by looking up the chords. If you want to learn to perceive chord progressions, the best way to learn that, it, there are exercises and there, there are things you can do that sometimes cheating does help. But typically, you know, let's say you're in math class in the sixth grade and you can't solve a problem looking on the guy's paper next to you for the answer is not going to help you learn to solve the problem. You learn to solve the problem by doing it, by listening and playing a lot of wrong chords. And eventually you will find the right chord. And then maybe you will make some sort of logical connection to like, Oh, a minor is related to C. I'm in the key of C. They played A minor. That's a six minor chord. And, you know, go to Mandel Masterclass or the Flint Hill Scrolls and do a little study. And But it may be the hunt and peck method. It may be the hit the wrong chord method. Do it without cheating and you will learn more from it. That's step three. Step four, take one song at a time, but commit to the entire album. Your goal is to play the entire record in real time without stopping. That's your goal. But at first, just take the first tune. Don't move to the second tune until you can play the first tune. Number five, jot down a few little notes on a pad of paper if you think it might help jog your memory when you come back to it the following day. You know, I'm not against note-taking. And you could transcribe the entire album. You could, you know, produce chord charts and arrangement charts and all this stuff if you want to. And you will learn from that. But I kind of want you to learn to build that ability within your brain. Uh, but, a, but a couple little notes can sometimes help. But work on the first tune. Cut one. Track one. Just get that. Don't worry. I don't even know if I'd listen to the rest of them. Step six, work on the chords and the rhythm. And if you're a bass player, the bass line first. Don't worry about fills. Don't worry about licks. Don't worry about anything fancy. And definitely don't worry about taking a solo. 
Work on the chords, the rhythm, the timing, the feel. Work on that. Fit in. Do that first. You might be dying to rip through old Joe Clark. You know, whatever. That's going to guarantee that you're listening to you instead of to them. Just pretend that you're Wyatt Rice. You know, just playing rhythm guitar behind Tony. That is a patient fella. He's a great lead guitarist, too. Step seven. Figure out what key song one is in. I'm not going to explain how to do that. You figure it out. Maybe in a future episode, I'll talk about how to find the key. It's not really that difficult. And I think there's some stuff on my website about that. Step eight, figure out the chords, the chord progression. Yeah, start with the key, then the chord progression. And I don't care what instrument, even fiddle. You'll play better if you have an understanding of the chord progression. Even if you just play single note, uh, melody type fills and counter melodies. I can tell you'll do that better if you have an underlying understanding of the chords, even if you don't play the chords. Obviously, for guitar players, mandolin players, bass players, it's extremely important, and, and certainly banjo players. Step nine memorize the arrangement, which is different than the chord progression. The chord progression is okay, what chord for how long? for the verse. What chord for how long in the sequence for the chorus? Okay, you got the verse and the chorus and maybe there's a bridge or a part C or whatever. You got to learn all those individual chord timing sequences. That's the chord progression, but that's not the arrangement because that is not how they may play it. You don't know how many verses they're going to do before they go to a chorus. And do they drop a beat and does the fiddle player just jump on his break one beat early? And that's the way they do it. So if you're a bass player, you got to hit that one twice in a row. You got to learn the arrangement. You got to learn, do they do anything different at the end? Uh, do they repeat the chorus? Do they just tag the last line? How do they actually play the ending and what chords are they playing? You know, you got to figure out this arrangement with no help. And eventually, you will figure it out. So that's step nine. Learn the arrangement. Step ten. Practice it and play with them. Over and over and over. As many times as you want to. And this is when you're getting the great benefit. Because for the price of a $15 CD, you've got these guys for the next six months if you need to. But practice and play along with track one. Remember, you're not playing lead. You're not playing fills. You're playing chords and rhythm. And let your goal be to be in time. And I will tell you, despite what you may think, sometimes the timing and the tempos do fluctuate even with these great players. Listen to tone poems. You're going to hear breathing and dynamic tempo changes. You will hear it. I hope you can hear it. If you do this method, you will hear it and you'll go, Ooh, there's speeding up just a little bit right there. And I've got to speed up just a bit. I got to plant my downbeats right with them. And, you know, 
Music is not, you know, some of these jam practice tracks where everything is cut to a metronome track or click track can, um, you know, that is good practice. But you can learn the tempo. You know, you can learn what 80 beats a minute is. And, and you know, you're not going to vary from that from beginning to end. But in the real world, folks do vary that. I'm not saying it's a good thing to rush or drag or I'm not talking about that. There are, there are negative consequences to unwanted tempo changes, but in the real world of real music, tempo changes are part of the deal and you got to go with the flow without pushing too much or dragging too much. You got to lock in and if it's going there, you go there. You know, if Grisman and Rice hire you to be their bass player or to play rhythm guitar behind them, they don't really care what you think about the tempo. You know what I'm saying? You just stay with them and lock in. So that's what I, that's what I mean by be in time. So number 10 is practice and play with them with the goal of staying in time. Second goal. Play no wrong chords slash notes until you can play that entire track start to finish. No mistakes. You haven't learned it. So that's your goal. Play track one perfectly. Now you got a lot of freedom. You can choose which chord shape you play. Uh, you know exactly how you play. Um, you can write your own bass line, you know, so you got a lot of freedom here, but you do not have freedom in terms of timing or just flat out wrong notes and wrong chords. You got to play the right notes. And the third thing you need to keep in mind throughout that practice of track one is your goal is to nail a perfect version, a complete perfect version where you played it. First note to last note, even how that last note tapers off and how long it lasts. You're trying to make it perfect. When you can accomplish that, then you move to track two. You know, don't be fooling around with track two and you haven't got track one. You can get, you know, that's not going to help you get track one really good. Then maybe if they call you up on stage, that's the one you'll say, yeah, let's play, uh, uh, let's play, uh, Stealing, you know, that's track two off of uh, Shady Grove because that's the one you know you can nail. Get it where you can nail it. Step 11, start on song two and repeat steps five through ten. So you're starting all over, new tune. Step 12 of my mad plan is review all of the songs you've learned so far. So if you're up to song three and you're, you've nailed one and two and you've now just nailed three, we'll play one, two, and three. And maybe tomorrow, just play one, two, three, and then begin work on four. Review all your songs learned so far. That is step 12. Strive to fit in, play perfectly, no wrong notes. Step 13, the unlucky number. When you can play the entire album, start to finish, no pausing, 
no stopping, with no mistakes, and you feel like you're fitting in and you're in the groove, then maybe start working on your solos, fill licks, things like that, which I'm not going to talk about really in this episode. Because frankly, there are a lot of people who are pretty good at that, but lousy at all that other stuff I was talking about. You know, if can you step up on stage with, oh, I don't know, let me pick somebody, Del McCurry. And let's say there's a song you, you've been practicing and you really know it. You know the key. You know the chords. You know the tempo. You know the arrangement. You got it down pat and all you're doing is chopping mandolin chords. Could you step up there? Would you be embarrassed to step up there and just stand behind them and just chop your little chords perfectly? I wouldn't be embarrassed. I would say that's a great accomplishment. If you can do that and fit in and not get one look over, over their shoulder at you like, what? If you can do that, that's step one. Don't worry about playing them solos yet. That's a whole nother category of practice and learning. But all this stuff is built on this. And I've said this before. In your lifetime as a musician, you're going to spend a lot more time playing backup and rhythm than you will playing solos. So place the proper amount of emphasis on it. And through my easy 13 step, learn the entire album method, you can improve that stuff immensely. You might be taking lessons from some guy down at the music store and playing with him may not really be helping you that much. I mean, you might know a lot of stuff. You might be, but if you can insert yourself into some of the greatest bluegrass rhythm sections that have ever been put on, cut on wax, you hang around that tribe and you're going to get better. And, and remember all those advantages. You don't have to pay them and you're not going to bug them and you're not going to be nervous. Do this. Maybe take three months and work on nothing but tone poems. Learn the whole dadgum thing. Then pick another one and keep doing it. You, you'd be surprised how fun your, your practice sessions can be. Look, I don't mean this to take the place of the other things you have to do to learn to play. You know, if you can't change chords or if you don't know, you know, how to form a B minor chord and two different ways to do that. And you're having trouble with your pull-offs on the dobro or whatever your individual, you got to work on that stuff too. Maybe alternate days say, okay, you know, on even numbered days, I'm going to work on technique and knowledge. And on odd numbered days, I'm going to try to pick with David Grisman. Trust me, you will get better. And then maybe, maybe, maybe one day, you'll actually be picking with David Grisman. Y'all take care. And, and uh, just a quick thank you to everybody who has visited my site over at BradleyLaird.com. You know, even if you're just strolling through the free stuff, I do appreciate it. And thanks for listening to the podcast. You know, there are numerous ways to support the thing. And you've heard it all before. Uh, I would just suggest that, you know, some of you actually do it instead of just hearing about it. You know, um, the uh, listenership of the podcast has grown a bit recently. 
it's not huge. You're still in a very select club, but it, it is growing. And I have this limit of 100 gigabytes per month of download bandwidth. And as soon as I hit that, bam, I'm going to get a bill every month instead of the, the normal thing that I'm paying once a year. In other words, I'm, I'll be moved up into a new um, bandwidth data tier level and I'm going to have to pay. And so every time, you know, it gets pretty close toward the end of the month sometimes. So I want you to spread the word. I want more listeners, but uh, I may need a little help too. So, uh, you know, if you got 20 bucks burn a hole in your pocket, you know what to do with it. Y'all have fun. Go pick out your, your greatest album and enjoy playing with the greats. I'll talk to you later.